Well, the year was 1854. It was Christmas Eve. And that night, in the cover of Winter Darkness, the great abolitionist Harriet Tubman launched one of her most famous escape operations ever. She herself had escaped slavery five years earlier, but that winter she had gotten word that her three brothers were to be sold at auction the day after Christmas on December 26th. And so she sprung into action, and she sent them a coded message through a friend with a promise that she was coming. And it said, tell my brothers to always be watching unto prayer. And when the good old ship of Zion comes along, to be ready to step on board. And that night, with the help of friends and family along the Underground Railroad, and at great risk to her own life, Tubman re-entered the realm of legalized slavery in order to lead her brothers and three others with them to freedom. And in the new year, the six of them eventually made it to Canada. And then the following Christmas, in 1855, the abolitionist pastor, John Dwight, had run across this beautiful French carol that we just heard called Cantique de Noel. And it celebrated the liberation that God brought to his people. And Reverend Dwight adapted the French lyrics into the song that we now sing together called O Holy Night. And it was in a context of mounting tensions around slavery, a context where more and more people were escaping in search of freedom, a a context where people like Tubman and others were risking their lives for the sake of love. That was the context in which John Dwight translated these words. And you can't miss how that is shaping the lyrics that he gave us with phrases like, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Truly he taught us to love one another. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. O Holy Night takes up these powerful images of slavery and freedom, of love and rescue, and it uses them to help us understand the story of Christmas, to help us worship and wonder at the great lengths God's love is willing to go to lead us to new life. In Jesus, God's love goes the distance to rescue us and lead us to new life. Now, many of us, thankfully, have never experienced anything like the slavery that Tubman and her family members and so many others experienced. We know, though, still today that forced exploitation and slavery still exists around the world, even in our own country. It's why here at CPC we partner globally and locally with organizations like International Justice Mission and Trafficking Justice. It's part of why we believe that investing in education and community building with groups like Urban Ventures is so important because in his name all oppression shall cease. And part of why we're even active in that work to begin with is because we agree with the witness of Scripture, 
when it describes the brokenness of our world as one of slavery to sin and death. Slavery to sin and death is one of the dominant ways that scripture describes the brokenness of our souls and the brokenness of our world. The truth is we sin. We do things that we shouldn't do and we fail to do the right things that we should do. We hurt other people. We want things that aren't good for us. And sometimes the sin is just so big and tangled and long-standing that it doesn't even feel clear who to blame, but people suffer anyway. And sometimes, whether it's in our own afflictions with mental health or unexplainable suffering like tornadoes uh, hitting and destroying whole towns, we feel ourselves in this world besieged by brokenness, not just as something that we do, but almost like it's this alien power that has a grip on us and we can't escape it. We are powerless to fix these things on our own. We're stuck. We need a rescuer from the outside to break through us in our brokenness and lead us into new life. And in the world of the Bible, one of the places where we really see this idea come out is in the words of the prophets to God's people during the time of the Babylonian exile. It was about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. The Babylonian empire invaded the land of God's people, destroyed their temple in Jerusalem, and forcibly deported people out of the country. And according to the prophets, God allows this horrible event to happen because Israel has repeatedly failed to keep their side of the covenant that God had made with them whenever he rescued them from uh, slavery in Egypt. And in the ancient world, a covenant was like an agreement of loyalty between a conquering king and the nation that was coming under his control. So for example, uh, in a covenant like this, the king would maybe provide access to water and to trade, but the people would have to pay their taxes. That's the kind of thing that would have been in a political covenant. But for Israel, God, as king, initiates a covenant with his people that is way less like a contract of exchange of goods, and it's way more like wedding vows. In these vows, God promises faithfulness and care, not because Israel is worthy, not because God needs something from them, but just because God has chosen to be in a relationship of love with them. And in response to this vow of love, Israel's part in the covenant is to be faithful back to God through keeping the laws that God had given to them. And these laws were all about living in a way that put God's love on display in the community, in the world, especially through how Israel was supposed to care for the poor. But as we know, Israel is constantly unfaithful. They don't follow the law. They worship other gods. They fail to do justice and care for the poor. The covenant is broken. And because of this, they seem to face almost certain and final destruction at the hands of the Babylonians. Things seem to really and truly be over. 
Sin and death seem like they're gonna be the true and final masters in their story. But that is exactly when, in this bleak moment, that God chooses to speak a new word of hope to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. It's like Harriet Tubman sending a message of promised rescue to her brothers. God sends a message of future promised rescue to his people while they lay in sin and error pining. And this is what he says in Jeremiah 31. This is the message. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So what's happening here? The message is that out of deep love, God promises to go the distance to rescue his people and lead them into new life. That is the message. And there are three things I really want you to pay attention to about that love, promise, and new. So from this, this promise comes from God's love. I have loved you with an everlasting love, says the Lord. And like the romantic in me just finds that to be one of the most stunningly beautiful scripture verses in the whole Bible. Jeremiah is constantly portraying God like a spouse who has not stopped searching for his wayward lover, even though it makes absolutely no sense to keep doing so. God's love outlasts all our hot and cold ups and downs. Tish Harrison Warren says it like this, our love is like the coming and going of night and day, but God's love is like the unchanging speed of light a universal physical constant, the fixed point of the cosmos. And this incredible love leads God to do something new. Captivity to sin and death is not going to be the end of Israel's story. Instead, God is going to forgive his people's sins and make a way for the renewal of the covenant. And this renewal, it's not going to be on stone tablets. It's not going to be written down on pieces of paper. It's going to be on hearts and minds. And so obedience will spring from this internal motivation rather than external demands. Loving God back will be something that we want to do, not something that we have to do. And it's not just going to be for the elite or the privileged or the pastors or the especially religious. It's going to be for everyone. 
The same God that created humanity from the dust and then created a nation from Egyptian slaves, this God is going to recreate within all of his people the capacity for faithfulness and love so that they can be the covenant partners that he intended them to be from the beginning. And this new thing, God promises that he will do it. There's a phrase in Jeremiah 31 that is repeated 14 times, declares the Lord. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant, declares the Lord. I will forgive you, declares the Lord. There is hope for you, declares the Lord. I have compassion for you, declares the Lord. I will rescue you, declares the Lord. There is no dialogue happening in Jeremiah 31. It is just declaration like a bell ringing over and over and over again. This isn't needless repetition. It's not clumsy editing. This is language of promise. This new thing is going to happen, not because of any human effort, but because God promises it will be so. It will all depend on him. He's going to make the first move. He is the rescuer. God's power will renew the covenant, and God's promise assures it will be so. So out of deep love, God promises to go the distance to rescue his people and lead them into new life. Through the prophet, this is the message that God is sending to his people in the long night of their wait for freedom. And friends, when we sing, O Holy Night, together, what we're really singing is God kept his promise. God kept his promise, and he did it in the most surprising way imaginable. I bet there's a fair number of you that are familiar with the children's book, The Runaway Bunny. Uh, sometimes Pastor Melissa quotes it at baptisms. And the, the main gist is this. A baby bunny decides he's going to run away from his mother. And every time he comes up with a plan to be untraceable, his mother completely outsmarts him. The bunny says, I'm going to be a rock high on a mountain above you. And the mother says, if you become a rock, then I'll become a mountain climber and I'll climb to where you are. The bunny says, then I'm going to become a sailboat and I'll sail away from you. And the mother says, if you become a sailboat, then I'll become the, the wind and blow you where I want you to go. The bunny says, I'll become a bird and I'll fly away from you. And the mother says, if you become a bird, then I'll become a tree for you to come home to. In the shadows of sin and death, we have all, in one way or another, said to God, I'll become a covenant breaker. I'll sit in these chains and you'll never be able to break them. But the foolishness of God outsmarts human wisdom. And the weakness of God outlasts human strength. And in Jesus, God has answered us back. He says, if you become a covenant breaker, then I'll come to you and become a covenant keeper in your place. I'll take on human flesh. 
I'll face temptation. I'll know grief and suffering like you do, all the way from the vulnerability of birth to the silence of the grave. I will come and live a life and die a death of perfect covenant faithfulness for you. And on the third day, I'll be raised again. And in doing this, I will rescue you from the chains of sin and death and remake your very humanity from the inside out. At the farthest point of your estrangement from me, at the lowest point of your self-worth, at the most hopeless point of your effort to save yourself, I will enter the realm of your enslavement and lead you to new life. I'll find you and I'll blow the wind of my spirit into your weary soul and set you free to walk in the ways that I want you to go. The great theologian Karl Barth said it like this, man has not fallen lower than the depth to which God humbles himself for him in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ born in a manger 2,000 years ago is the embodiment of all God's love that goes the distance, all the newness we so desperately need, all the promises of God declared and fulfilled. It's all happening in Jesus for us. And so for those of us that are tuning in or sitting here in this room today, I wonder, where are we pining in sin and error? Where do we most need this rescue? What are the chains that need to be broken in our lives? Just this month, the U.S. Surgeon General issued a public health warning about the mental well-being of young people in our country. Since 2009, the proportion of youth that are reporting feelings of sadness and hopelessness has increased by 40%. The truth is, is that for a lot of us, whether we're young or not, we have not been able to outrun the waves of anxiety and depression over the last year and a half, and our souls are aching to feel their worth. Maybe for Others of us, we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again, the same addiction to screens, the same unkind words from our lips, the same fights with our family members that always happen in the car on the way to church. We're pining in the errors of our ways. For some of us, we've been deeply wounded, and we need healing and help to break the chains of anger and trauma that are just strangling all our joy. And still maybe for others, we want to live God's law of love and peace, but our preoccupation with our comfort and our stuff means we keep the needy and the suffering at arm's length. Friends, wherever we need rescue this morning, the declaration of the Lord in Jeremiah is for us. For the souls that need to feel their worth, his love has not stopped. For those pining in sin and error, a new covenant has begun. For those sitting in the chains of death, his promise is sure and the rescue operation has already started. Because just as we sing in O Holy Night, he appeared, he appeared 
You can't make him appear. He's already decided to do that. And he's there with you when your feelings and thoughts tell you, how could he possibly be? Because God in Jesus Christ shares our humanity. We can say with confidence the words of Psalm 139. Where, O God, can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Even if you cannot perceive it, he appears. You may think I'm too far, I'm too lost. I'm too unable, I'm too complacent, I'm too broken, I'm too much, I'm too weak, I'm too stuck. But in the appearing of God, in the form of a baby 2,000 years ago, God has forever and always said to you, you are not to anything. I have loved you with an everlasting love. My love is here to rescue you, to lead you to new life. So fall on your knees, O weary ones, and rejoice. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, your story of rescue, it's so good we couldn't make it up if we tried. In Jesus, we see that nothing can separate us from you not height or depth, angels or demons, present or future, not even death, not ourselves. In Jesus, you have made it clear that forever and always you are the God who is with us and for us. We receive the goodness of this truth today. Christ is the Lord. Amen.